What's up, Salt Company? Who's hungry for some pancakes? Okay, there will be a lot for us. Um, man, I can't believe year one is about to be in the books. That is just crazy. Uh, my name is Timmy, and I'm the Salt Director. If it is your first time to Salt Company, welcome. We are super glad you're here. You did pick a great night because we are having pancakes. Um, but tonight, uh, if you're just joining us, we have been going through the book of Philippians in the New Testament. And we've been in there for like the last eight weeks. And tonight we're closing up chapter four where Paul is going to talk to us about anxiety. Okay, this wasn't planned. I know finals week is next week, which would have been like, man, Tim, you planned that perfectly. Um, no, I didn't do that. It just happened to be so this way. God is good. This was his plan. He ordained it. Um, but for real, think about anxiety for a second. It's something every single one of us has experienced. We've all had a moment where your chest tightens and that wave of unease comes over you and you experience that gut-wrenching feeling in your stomach and, you're, and then those worries start to begin to play off in your head. And in your mind, all the what-ifs. You know, what if I don't get that co-op that I wanted? What if they don't like me? What if I look like an idiot when I go up on stage tonight? What if I say something wrong? What if I fail all my finals? What if that person I love who has cancer doesn't make it? And those fears come over. It's something every single one of us has felt at different times. And I just want to say, if that's you, and you're walking in here with that tonight, like, God has something for you here in his word. And you're not alone either. Like, it's something that... I struggle with and really every single person wrestles with and it's really hard. And so God has some incredible truths for us tonight. And so I'm excited to, to get into that with you. But before we do, I just, earlier I looked up um, just some things on Google, like top ways to deal with anxiety. And here were some like devices that came up. So just this first one, let's see, I think we have a picture. Does anybody know what that is? This is like one of the top ones. It's a, it's a hypnocube, okay? Anybody have a hypnocube? Um, I don't either, but, but basically it's like an assortment of lights. And apparently like if you, you, you get away from, you know, the stress and worries that you have in work and you just stare at this thing for a few minutes and it's supposed to, to help with your anxiety. I don't know. Uh, I think it's a bit steep. It, it's a hundred bucks on Amazon right now. So um, we can go to the next one. Okay, this, this guy here, desktop punching bag. All right, this is for like, you angry types out there who, who, who need to hit something when the anxiety comes over you, you just got to bring out the sledgehammer. So next time, instead of taking out on, on the poor soul you, you run into on the street, like have a go at one of these guys. Um, it's a lot cheaper. It's only 20 bucks. And I don't think it'll make you the next Conor McGregor, but it may help with your stress. I don't know. The last one, I think of the three, this is more like my cup of tea. Uh, anybody have one of these? <laughs> This is a body massage mat, apparently. Um, this was called. And this one was the most expensive, but this is for you. Your, your anxiety, you know, manifests itself like physically. Okay, get one of these. You lay it on the floor and you just, you just hit go and it's, it's supposed to be helpful. I don't know. Um, but here's the thing about all these tools, right? All of them deal with the symptom. None of them deal with the underlying issue. They don't actually deal with the problem that's going on underneath. 
And so if we look back at, at where we last were in, in Philippians chapter 3, right at the end, if you have a Bible, you can open up to there. We'll be in chapter 4 tonight. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, there should be one under your chair. And I want to say it's like, it's page 570 maybe, maybe if you, and one of the blue ones, 571. We've been in 571 for a long time. The whole, Philippians is short, and so it's like, the whole book is like two pages in the Bible. So anyways, um, okay, 571 if you're there. The last thing that we saw Paul tell us as we've been working through Philippians is, is for Christians not to set their minds and their hopes and the things of this earth. And he says the reason in verse 20, he says, but our citizenship, this is for Christians, is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Like that is going to happen. Meaning for anybody who has looked to Jesus and acknowledged that they're broken, that they can't do it on their own, and they have sinned against God, and they've trusted in Jesus as their substitute, that his life and death and resurrection was enough. God promises to give them eternal life. They're now no longer under condemnation, but they are a citizen of heaven. They once were enemies with God because of their sin, but now they're citizens of heaven. So they have a totally new identity and a new home. And this kingdom, guys, it lasts forever. And so Jesus, when he spoke to his disciples in Matthew 6, he, he specifically tells them not to be anxious. He says, don't be anxious about the things in life. And then the reason you know, he gives them, or the way that he gives them to fight that is, is to instead seek the kingdom of God. Because when those worries and those fears come over us, we have to set our minds on something that is stable and sturdy. And the most stable and sturdy thing in the Christian's life is the kingdom of God because it's gonna last forever. So that's the hope that we have. And so tonight, Paul's gonna give us three specific ways, like how this looks for the believer. And, um, and so I'm excited, but I just need to say a quick caveat too, right in the beginning, just about anxiety. Um, the anxiety we're talking about tonight is not, um, some of you, your anxiety manifests itself because your chemicals are off in your body and, and biologically. That's not the type of anxiety we're talking about. And some of you, those levels are so high, the next step that you need is to go see like a doctor and maybe get prescribed medicine. And that's okay. Like that's a good thing. But even if that's you, there's a portion of our anxiety that's not from just chemicals being off in our body, but there's a spiritual aspect to that. And that's what Paul's talking about tonight. And that's where we're going. And so there's kind of three ways and we're gonna start in chapter four of Philippians. And somebody just pray for us as we talk about a heavy topic. Um, Father, we love you so much. We thank you for, for your grace. We thank you that we get to gather together freely here in this country and open up your word and just learn about you and who you are and what you have for us in Christ. And so, um, yeah, I pray that we tune into your word and that you speak to us clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the first thing that Paul says. He says, in, in verse one of chapter four, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, when I first read that, I'm like, you sure, Paul? Like, always? Like, always rejoice in the Lord? Do you? Like, you can't be serious. You know, I'm just imagining, like, Lindsay and I driving, and she's just telling me about her worries and, and anxiety that she's feeling. I said, don't, just rejoice in the Lord always. Like, she'd probably be pretty mad at me. Um, but we live in a culture, guys, where 
we make feelings primary and we call them ultimate. That's what our culture does. We idolize them. And Paul's saying, hey, we don't, in Christ, you don't need to be controlled by the things that you feel, by your worries and your anxieties. There's something greater. So he is serious. And in fact, God commands his people to rejoice in the Lord, not just nine times in Philippians, but over 100 times all throughout the Bible. Like that's, a, that's a command. And we actually think about it, that's pretty incredible that God insists that his people, that those who have the hope of eternal life in Christ, that they rejoice and that they display joy to the world, that they be marked by that. That's something that God wants for us. And so the first point for us tonight, you can write this down if you take notes, is, is Paul wants us to seek the kingdom through the discipline of rejoicing. That as citizens of heaven, we would seek God's kingdom through the discipline of rejoicing. Now, I want to define joy for a second because it's, it's different than happiness. Like when we think about happiness, that's, uh, that that's, has to do with your circumstances and what's happening around you. So it's a hot, sunny day and you're walking on campus and someone from Salt Company gives you a popsicle. Maybe that's happened to you before. Like that's going to make you pretty happy. Or they give you some graters. That's even better. Um, or pancakes tonight. That will make you happy. Okay. Uh, but joy is something so much deeper than that. See, joy is something that can be had even in the deepest of sorrows because it supersedes circumstances. And so the joy that Paul's talking about here that can be found only in Christ is rooted in something so much deeper. It's not a joy because you didn't study for a physics test and you thought you were about to fail and then, and then you end up making an A because the teacher curved the test. Like that makes you happy, but that's not the joy that he's talking about. It's not the joy that like someone gets you a new car even. He says that we should rejoice in the Lord, that this joy comes from Jesus, from God, from the eternal promises that we have in him. And so I just wanna look at a few, these are some of my favorites. And as I look over these promises, like this is what I need to hear when I get down. This is what I need to hear when I forget the truth that God's in control. And so the first one that I love and that, that I try to meditate on is it's the promise that, of eternal life. Here's what it says in 1 John 2, 25. It says, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. That everyone who looks to Jesus and calls on his name, they can have life in him. Number two, the promise of no condemnation. This is what Paul says in Romans 8, that who, who, um, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Meaning if Jesus is your your Lord and Savior. You're no longer guilty before God because of your sin, but you are holy and blameless. When God looks at you, he's fully pleased with you because of Jesus, not by anything that you've done. You haven't brought anything to the table. God looks at you and you're loved. You're righteous. That is the truth that we have if you're a Christian. Here's the third one, the promise that we're in God's family, that we're no longer enemies with God, but we've been adopted into his family, that if, you're, if your hope is in Jesus, you're not an enemy of God, but a son or daughter of God. Here's what he says in Galatians 3.26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all, every single one who's in Christ Jesus, sons of God through faith, not by works. There's another one. This one's one of my favorites. It's the promise of assurance. We've talked about this a lot in this series. We've, we've said this multiple times. That if you could lose your salvation, you would. There's still sin in our life. We will not be sinless 
on this side of heaven because of our flesh. But one day we are promised that. But our salvation is kept by God. And that's one that I need to hear. Because there's a lot of areas of sin in my life. There's areas where I still struggle. Here's two of my favorite verses. It's in him, that's Jesus. In Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you didn't do anything. Just believing in Jesus, that he died for your sins, that he rose from the grave. You were sealed with the holy promise, the, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. And these aren't my words that I'm making up here. This is God's word. There's another one. The promise that God will never leave us is, is in Hebrews 13. It says, keep your life free from the love of money. It's not secure. It's not gonna be anything that will ever fully satisfy. He says, and be content with what you have. For he said, he's referring to Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? There's another one, the promise of God's sovereignty. Maybe you don't know what that word means. Sovereignty is that God is in control of everything. Here's the promise that he says in Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. That when you're, biggest fear in life actually comes true. That you know God's still on the throne, he's still in control. When you lose that family member, you know that God knows what he's doing and he wants what's best for you. And and you may not see that until we're in heaven, but this is his promise and we gotta cling to these. And these should bring us joy. There's so much to celebrate. But here's our problem. We're quick to forget these and we lose sight of the big picture and we settle for things so less and we lose our cool all the time. And you, like a great example of this is just come watch us guys play basketball here on Tuesday nights, okay? <laughs> I wish I had footage of this. Of just this last Tuesday, I'm like, uh, I think, I, you know, like we, these games get really competitive and then Dylan's, you know, I, th- I, th- I thought he stepped out of bounds from like 30 yards away. And of course I'm not on his team. So I'm like, he's out, he's out. And then we all start arguing about it and we all start losing our cool about a stupid game of basketball with zero eternal significance. It doesn't matter in the grand scheme, but we, we do this with things in life all the time. But Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, always. So how do I rejoice always? How do you rejoice when your girlfriend or boyfriend breaks up with you? How do you rejoice when you're 35 years old and you're still single and you really wanna be married, how do you rejoice then? How do I rejoice when I get made fun of or I'm rejected for being a follower of Jesus? My friends don't wanna hang out with me anymore. My parents hate that I am a Christian. How do you rejoice in those moments when we hear words like cancer and divorce? Oh, remember where Paul was when he was writing this, guys. Paul's in prison, and he's in prison because he's telling people about Jesus, and he's a follower of Jesus, and he wants to make him known. And he's telling people that Jesus is the only way to be made right with God, and they locked him up. And he's at the end of his life, and he is single, and he's in prison, and he's rejoicing. And I love what he writes in 2 Corinthians 4 as he encourages us to. This is 
truth for Christians. He says, so we do not lose heart. Those in Christ do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, right? These, these physical bodies that we have, they're dying. We're all gonna die. We get sick. We get injured. These bodies aren't gonna last forever. Though our outer bodies are wasting away, our inner self, right? Our soul and our mind is being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction, right? All the sufferings he's experienced in life for being a follower of Jesus and living in a broken world, they're not meaningless. He calls them light and momentary. It's like, how can you call that light and momentary? You guys, have ex- we've experienced some really heavy, difficult things. How can Paul call this light and momentary? And the reason is, it's because it's an eternal perspective. Look at verse 17. He says, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. It's light and momentary compared to weight, heavy, and eternal. Beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, not to the things of this earth, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're temporary. They don't last. But the things that are unseen, God's kingdom and his promises, guys, those are eternal and they're going to last. His perfect kingdom will last forever. So don't set your hope on the things of this world. On getting that certain job or getting that certain GPA. Nobody cares after college that they didn't get that grade when they were shattered on, on the, or when their hopes were shattered when they failed that test. Like, nobody cares afterwards. Like, you don't remember any of that because it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. There's so much more important things. And so, like, Paul wants us to have the right perspective. So think about an elephant, right? Is an elephant big or small? It's big, right? But you put that elephant next to Grant, uh, what is it, Mount, Mount Everest, all of a sudden, or the Grand Canyon, either one, all of a sudden, it's minuscule, right? It's teeny. Is, is, okay, where's Mitchell at? What's up? Is Mitchell big or small? <laughs> what? No, Mitchell's a big guy. He's huge. Look at him. He's Jack. But when you put him next to Joey, he's teeny, okay? <laughs> See, something standing by itself can be small or big, but when it's next to something else, Right? It may not be so small or so big. It works with time too. 78 years, that's the average lifespan of a person born in America, 78 years. 78 years sounds like a long time. Then you think about you're only 18 or you're already 18 then you have, and maybe you're older than that. And then, okay, if you make it to the average and you're 18, then it's 50 years left and you're not even promised tomorrow, let alone even the rest of today. Huh? 18 plus 50. Are you sure? Yes. I w- I'm from Louisiana, born and raised. Okay, we're like 48th on the education system, but um, <laughs> we're above Alabama and Mississippi. Okay. But that doesn't matter, right? In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't even matter. Paul wants us to view things, guys, with an eternal perspective. <laughs> we're citizens of heaven. Right? And so when the moments get really hard and the most difficult one for Lindsay and I, and most of you, if you know Lindsay and I, and if you've been to Salkamit, well, you've heard it. 
We lost our brother a year and a half ago. He was 19 at LSU. He was a freshman at LSU. It was unexpected and out of nowhere. And it's still really hard. And we're not the same. And there's still struggles from it. And Lindsay doesn't feel the same. She feels like she doesn't have the same capacity as she used to. It's moments like this. Like you, you need something greater than a stupid hypnocube or a desktop punching bag. You need a future to look to, a true hope. And that's what we have as citizens of heaven. That's the promise you have if you're in Christ. That one day Jesus is coming back for his bride, for the church, and he is going to make all things new. The promise in Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice. This is what is going to happen. This hasn't happened yet, but this is your future if you're in Christ. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will be with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. He's coming back. He's going to make all things new. We gotta keep that in our minds. We have to remember that. We gotta have an eternal perspective. And true joy can only be found in Christ. You can't find it in anything else. You won't find it in grades. You won't find it in money. You won't find it in career. None of this stuff is going to last. So that's one way we seek God's kingdom: is through rejoicing, giving God praise. Here's the second way. Look at verses six. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's our next point. As citizens of heaven, we should seek the kingdom through prayer. You can write that down if you're taking notes. Seek the kingdom through prayer. Paul says, again, don't be anxious about anything. There's so many things for us to get anxious about. He says, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, we should replace our worry and anxiety with prayer. And he tells us how. He gives us two ways how. The first is, is through thanksgiving. And that's simple. Like, like we, we know what that means. Thanksgiving is, is just acknowledging God for his past mercies and the way that he's been faithful. And so really how this like, looks practically in my life. I love the verse in, in Deuteronomy where, where God tells the Israelites, his, his chosen people, he says, take heed lest you forget. Like, remember all that I've done. Remember how I pulled you out of Egypt when you were enslaved. Remember how I parted the Red Sea. Remember all the miracles that you clearly saw. Don't forget when you're in the valley what you clearly saw me do on the mountaintop. Remember those things because we are so quick to forget, aren't we? We're so quick to forget the promises of God and look to something else. And so how this works for me practically is I have a list on my phone of just ways where I've seen God provide in ways that I know were him. The primary one is that he sent his son to die for us when we couldn't have a way to be married with God. Jesus is the only way. We didn't deserve that, but God lovingly did that. Then another one that I have on my phone is that God's, sent people into my life to share the gospel with me and help me grow in Christ. I'm so thankful for those men and women that God used in my life. 
Another one that I, I know this was clearly God. This is two years ago. I'm uh, I should, I should, if I have my youngest brother. My, I only have, have two adopted brother, but a younger biological brother. He was not a Christian, not walking with God, claiming to be, but doing whatever he wanted. And long story short, we had a hard conversation, and he kind of separated himself from me. And I remember one night, Ian and I hadn't seen each other in two months, and I, and I prayed for Ian with, with the guys in my connection group. And the next day, he shows up at my house, and he wants to talk. And he tells me he's gotten rid of all his drugs. And long story short, we end up sharing the gospel to him, and God ends up saving him the next day. I hadn't seen him in two months. My flesh wants to go so badly that that's just a coincidence. That wasn't real. Like, I'm so quick to doubt God in those moments but he's proved himself faithful over and over again. So give God thanks for the things that you've clearly seen him do. I would encourage you that maybe that's your step. Make a list. You know, that's really helpful for me when the worries and the fears come. The next one is like supplication and requests. Those are very similar. It's just asking God to provide for you in that moment what you need. In essence, Paul's telling us when these moments come, pray and pray a lot. Because when we pray, what we're doing is we're inviting God into the picture. Telling him that we need him and that we want to depend on him. That we can't do it on our own. And he wants us to depend on him. Because he's a good father. He wants us to cast our anxieties upon him. That's what it says in First Peter. So cast your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. It's the truth of scripture. Worry doesn't bring anything good in your life. You know, when you dwell on the worries and the fears, it doesn't help. But what's the promise that when we pray, when we spend time going to God, it says, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That when we look to him, we invite him into the picture, that will begin to feel this peace. Now, you won't always feel it right away. Sometimes I feel like I don't feel it much. I think for me, this last year, I've had more anxiety in my life than all the other years put together. I think a lot of that comes from starting Salt Company. And like, if it's your first time, this didn't exist a year ago. And I moved, I'm born and raised in Louisiana, moved here with my wife. And bunch of our friends to come start Mercy Hill and Salt Company because we wanted to reach UC and we wanted to reach Xavier and there's so many college students here who need to hear the good news of Jesus and how they can have life. But I had so many moments where I just have fear that God, you don't want me here. And I dwell on those lies that God, you actually wanted somebody else or that Tim, you're a failure. I mean, literally 45 minutes ago, over there, just wanted to, to just quit. Like, you want to use me? I don't have anything to offer God. And I'm praying just, because preaching terrifies me. And I'm like, oh, man, I need to hear the same thing. And I need to, do what Paul is telling us as followers of Christ to do when the anxiety comes. 
There's been so many moments this last year when those moments have come over and I sit in those worries and those fears and I'm, and I'm not pleasant to be around when I get in, in that place. You ask my wife. <laughs> She's told me I've become like a shell of a person. And it sucks. You wait, I wake up at 3 a.m. sometimes and my gut's wrenching and I just think, God, you can't use me. Surely this, I don't know if you felt things like that. But the thing that has helped me the most is when Lindsay just stops and prays for me, encourages me to pray. Just remind myself, myself of the truth. But here's our last one. That as citizens of heaven, we should seek the kingdom through renewing our minds. Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. He says, think about these things. It's like meditate on these things. Dwell on them, that there are certain virtues, Christian virtues and things that God wants us to think about that should be home base in our mind. Truth. We cling to what is true and we're not swayed by the lies. What is honorable means that what's worthy of respect just refers to to being upright, pure, which denotes cleanness and moral purity. Lovely means what is amiable or pleasing. I think I hear the word meditate, and I just think of a person who just like sits in a corner, you know, like just by himself doing nothing. Like that's not what Paul means. It means to concentrate on and focus on these things. And begin to walk towards them that when I focus on these things. I'll begin to walk towards truth because, because our, our thought life matters. Like the things that we dwell and we think about, they matter. When I was in college, I lived down the street from Dylan and I would always, like we'd always hang out super late. And um, I remember <laughs> this one time we watched a scary movie that night, okay? I would always walk home by myself late at night and just do a normal casual stroll, but we watch this freaky movie Okay, and for the next month, every time I leave that house at 1 a.m., if I was by myself, I was running to my house. <laughs> like the things we think about, like, like they matter, and you've experienced that. It's the same way that as followers of Jesus, when we set our minds on the things of God, we will begin to practice and do the things of God. So here's my question. What are, what are the things that occupy your mind? What are the things that you dwell on? A lot of mine are insecurities. Sometimes I have really sick thoughts. Really sick, inappropriate sexual thoughts that I think, man, how could I even think that? This is so impure. If you really want to know the things that you look at and that you're dwelling on, is pull out your phone and go to that uh, settings and then was it screen time? It will tell you what would happen if we began to spend, you know, less than half the time that we spend on the ESPN app or Snapchat or any social media, and we begin to actually pick up our Bibles and read God's Word. We start in John. We just start reading it, learning about Jesus and who He is. We're spending time meditating on the things of God. What would happen? In verse nine, Paul says to practice these things. That's a verb. It takes effort. It's a battle. 
That's why God's word says to, that we wage war against the flesh. So we shouldn't just talk about them, but we should begin to practice them and do them. So what would happen if every day before you woke up and before you grabbed your phone, you just got away in a room and you opened up your Bible and you spent time with God first. And then you spent time praying and just dwelling on some of the scriptural truths that you need to hear. Some of those promises that I listed earlier. And you begin to fix your mind daily on the things that are eternal and last forever. How might that change your anxiety? How might that change the way that you live, the way that you love those around you? Here's the picture of what it looked like in Paul's life, and then I'm going to pray for us. Look at verse 10. He said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Here we go. Look at this. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, how to have little, and I know how to abound, how to flourish. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Y'all pray with me. God, it makes no sense why you love us. We don't deserve your love. But I thank you that you do. I thank you that you've shown us by sending your son to die for us. Not when we were trying to pursue you, God, but when we were running in rebellion from you, enemies of God, wanting nothing to do with you. You came after us and you lived a life that every single one of us here is required to live, but could not live because we're broken. And you lived it perfectly, Jesus. And on the cross, Lord, you laid our sin upon your son. And you punished him for it as if he did it. And we're the ones who did it. You rose him from the grave three days later, proving that that sacrifice is enough and that it is finished. It is over. It is done. And now all who trust in Jesus, not their own works, not through morality or religion or anything like that, but that Jesus was enough. God, you promised to make new, to make a citizen of heaven. And now give them your spirit and give them power to begin to walk in new life and experience joy and sorrow. Because we know that you win in the end and that your kingdom's gonna last forever and you reign. Lord, would we fix our mind there? We look at Jesus' example and how he depended on you perfectly even when he was in the garden the night before he died as he's sweating blood, about to be not only separated from you, but receive your wrath and for the first time experience the weight of sin 
he prayed. He said, God, if there's any other way, but in the end, not my will, but yours be done. And he went. So we praise you for that. We have hope and we have life because of that and that alone. So Lord, help us to remember that. Help us to focus on that which matters. In Jesus' name.